What's up, guys? From the heart of Montana, this is Carroll College's student podcast, Big Sky, Small World. And we're all saying that part together. Big Sky, Small World. That's good. So I'm Sage Lawrence. I am a senior here at Carroll College um, with a communications major. Helen, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, my name is Helen Hoxie. I'm a communications major here at Carroll. I'm a junior and I have a theater minor. Awesome. Thanks so much. So really what I wanted to talk to you about today is just kind of like your involvement with the theater program and sort of like what got you into it um, and kind of uh, then dive a little bit more into your trip to New York and just uh, your whole experience with that. Yeah, um, I am a theater minor, so I don't do as many classes as those with a major, but I am also involved with the productions that we put on here at Carroll. So I Recently, I've been doing the live streaming for our plays and stuff like that. So since it's COVID times, some people don't really feel comfortable coming to a live audience or a live show. So we provide the option of them watching it online with pre-recorded runs of the show. So I kind of oversee that at the moment. And then I'm also... Um, on the ME track, which are the master electricians. And those people just kind of are in charge of all of things that are technical within the theater. So um, like lights and sound and projection and stuff like that. We just have to know everything about the technology side of the Flex Theater. So I do that along with Tom Trangmo, Ian, uh, Roush and a couple of other people. Very cool. Um, so your trip to New York, was it, um, sort of planned and organized by the theater like program or the theater club? Cause I know that there's both. It was planned and organized by Kim Shire, who's the head of the theater department. Okay. Um, I, they've done this trip before a couple of years ago. I didn't go then, but a couple of people that went this time went then. Um, And so they had so much fun with that last trip that Kim decided that it would be great to do another one and she got the funding for it and um, just kind of invited anybody that wanted to go to go so. So it wasn't just theater program uh, students who participated in the trip? Uh, No, it was people that are involved in theater went. Okay interested in theater there wasn't like people from the biology program there but (laughs) there was people that like um our house manager elizabeth she went i'm not sure if she has a theater major or minor but she went and um with a couple of her friends a lot of people like invited other people okay so yeah and how big was the group in total that went um i think we had 35 maybe 37, including some of the adults that went, the faculty. That's awesome. So yeah, if you could just like walk me through a little bit of like just sort of your trip overall. Yeah, so uh, we left um, on a, uh, what did we leave? We, I think we left on a Monday and we took, we took a, a plane from Helena to SeaTac and then we had a seven-hour layover in SeaTac. Oh. Um, so most people just kind of uh, waited around the airport and had dinner. But I have family that lives in Seattle, so I got to leave the airport and I had 
um, a dinner with my parents and then I came back and then we took a red eye from Seattle to New York. We landed in JFK around 7 a.m. their time. And then we took the subway from JFK to our hotel, which is about like an hour long subway ride. Um, and at first, I think most of us were kind of nervous to do that because it's New York subway. But after, after a, a while, we got pretty used to it. We all had our suitcases with us. Um, and we took that subway ride, got checked into our hotel. And then that day, a lot of us had shows like matinees or evening shows. Um, my first show that I went to was the play that goes wrong, which is very funny. Um, a lot of people went to Book of Mormon, Wicked, a lot of a lot of cool things. And so we all were pre-scheduled for uh, I think up to twelve shows that we wanted to see. So before the trip had started we had expressed to Kim, okay, I want to see these shows. These are the ones that I want, I really want to go see. And these are the ones that I don't really care about seeing. And then she bought those tickets for all of us. And then we had all of those shows to go to. And in between those show times, we could really do whatever we want, as long as we were with somebody. Um, so a lot of us just kind of walked around. Uh, we all went to... Some of us went to the Empire State Building, some the 9-11 Memorial. Um, I went to Brooklyn with a couple of friends, Eleanor and Caden, and we like walked around there and tried to find some cool like shops, stuff like that. Very um, cool. Yeah, just people, I think our day-to-day -day activities was waking up, going to do whatever you want, getting some coffee maybe, if you had a matinee that day, then you'd go see that. And then you'd walk around some more, do whatever you want, have dinner. And then you'd do the evening show. Very cool. And was there like a highlight in terms of the shows that you saw that you particularly enjoyed? Well, so a lot of the shows that we went to see had very famous Broadway actors and actresses. And like even people that were on TV and you would be sitting in the audience going through the playbill like shows you all the cast and you'd be like holy crap there's somebody that I've seen on tv for years so I think a highlight for me was seeing Hugh Jackman and Sutton Fox oh, wow. stage together they were absolutely amazing they were um the two main leads in the music man and it was just incredible seeing them and then uh my favorite show that I went to see was Moulin Rouge and the main guy for that was played by Aaron Teviot, who is in the Les Miserables movie. And oh, wow. so seeing him, and he was just a wonderful singer. So yeah, that was probably a highlight for me. That's super awesome. Um, do you feel like you have an interest at all after that experience in like working in Broadway ever? I mean, New York is so crazy. So I don't know if I'd ever try and work in New York Broadway, but I've always been interested in theater and I've worked in theater since high school. So if I were given that opportunity, I would definitely take it because it's just, it's so fun to be able to produce a show like that, like at that skill level. And then, yeah, if you could just talk maybe a little bit more about like the program and like 
are, are you involved at all in like the theater club at Carol or? Uh, I'm not. I'm not in the theater club. I this okay. semester has been a bit busy for me, so I haven't been able to do a lot of work in theater. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a theater minor, so I don't have a lot of theater classes mm-hmm. right now. But the ones that I have had have always been super fun. Like um, I was in a women in theater class last semester where we put on um, one act plays for the She Persisted play. And I was able to direct for that. And I just like, ever since I directed that, I'm like, I want to do it again. And like Kim kind of like um, uh, ushered me into it. Like she, she made sure I was comfortable in what I was doing. So that was super nice. And all of the actors that I worked with were wonderful. Um, I like said at the beginning of rehearsals, like this is my first time directing, go easy on me. And they were all very nice. And I work with like tech and it's all, it's all like super high quality stuff that we work with. And like, it, it's just insane that we get to work with the equipment that we do. So that's always fun. And then kind of to like close that out, I just sort of wanted to hear about like um, sort of what you hope to do in the future with like what you've learned from the program in your own like career goals? Personally, I, I've always loved theater, but my end all be all is film. So I wanna be a film producer, director, executive type deal. Um, so I am hoping that like the knowledge that I gain from this theater program and like these trips like this, give me like an edge and give me some more knowledge when I'm trying to pursue that career in film. Cause pursuing a career in film, you gotta start at the bottom rank. So hopefully like I'll learn enough skills here to be able to perform them well in a film set. The purpose of that trip was really to just teach um, all of us like just how plays work and how much effort goes into them. And um, like how Broadway is just like, they got their ish together. Like they know what they're doing. I went to 12 shows and each show that I went to, I tried to find their soundboard, which is usually in the house, like among the audience in the back. And I would always take pictures of it and send it to our big New York group chat. And, um, you know, we all work with the same exact equipment that they work with. So for our cues, which means like um, just kind of if the stage manager says, okay, sound cue one, go, you press a button and in the speakers, the sound will play or light cue one, go, then the lights will change. So those boards, we use the, the software that we use is QLab. And in every single board that I saw, they were using QLab. So um, when I saw that, I sent it to the group chat and we're like, oh, yeah, we're Broadway level, baby. You know, like, <laughs> so it was just fun seeing that. And then after every show, a lot of us tech people or like stage manager people would be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. Did you see how they did that effect? Or like the set was kind of like, we were we were focusing on the acting yet, but also like we had a deeper knowledge of it. So seeing if you go on that trip, you're allowed to like see how people do super professional stunts and like set pieces and lighting design and stuff like that. So that was super fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
another thing that I kind of wanted to ask, like when you were going to the shows, were you able to like network at all with people um, sort of like after the shows, were you able to meet with, you know, sort of the backstage crew or. Yeah. So we weren't able, able to meet with like anybody that we went to see, but the faculty that came along with us knows a lot of people that work in New York and work in like uh, plays and Broadway and stuff. So a lot of them, like Kim and Anna and another one of the professors that I'm forgetting the name of right now, they uh, would out, they would um, contact their friends that are in New York and plan a lunch. And then whoever wanted to go to that lunch could go. And these people that would come in were like project managers, um, actors, you know, people that had been in the industry for a really long time. And so when we went, we would just be asking them all these questions, like how, how does it feel to work here, blah, blah, blah. And we got a lot of insight on the professional world of that. So that was fun. That's really cool. Yeah, that sounds like it's an amazing chance to sort of um, learn more from people who have a lot of experience. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you guys have any bad things happen on the trip? That's a pretty big crew of people to be traveling in such a big city. <laughs> Yeah, well, we did have a couple of incidents um, there, you know, it's New York and there's quite a lot of people in New York. And with that amount of people, you're going to find some crazies. And so I wasn't there for this, but um, a dinner, people were having dinner and this guy just came up to them and started yelling at them. And they all just kind of like sat quietly and, you know, waited for him to waited for him to leave. So that was like an incident, I guess you could call it. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, another like thing that could happen. I mean, we saw a lot of subway rats. That was like, (laughs) that was like the thing I was like trying to see at least once. I was like, I just need to see a New York rat because I've heard they're huge and I've never seen one before. And uh, our last day while we're waiting for the subway to go back to the airport, there's one on the train tracks. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's one. Uh, I think I think something a really funny story. So we all got um, split up into rooms of four. So we all had uh, four room or three other roommates. Um, And the hotel that we were in had TVs. And we were still on Helena time, right? So it's a three, two, maybe two, three hour difference. So we would stay up pretty late. And um, in my room, I was rooming with Eleanor, Emma, and Lily. And we would turn on the TV and we'd be scrolling through all these channels. And the one night we found this movie called Daybreakers, which was a really horrible vampire movie, just like, just like from the tw- 2000s, like a really bad plot. And, and we just got sucked into it. And we watched that. And at first we were just like, okay, we'll just watch 10 minutes and then we'll all go to bed. But then suddenly we were closing the end of the movie and the credits started rolling. And we're like, did we really just watch that entire movie? And so we are like, oh gosh, okay. So we went to sleep. And then the next day we're turning the TV on again at the end of the day and Twilight is on. And we're like, well, we got to watch this one. <laughs> and so a couple of days of our trip were just, the nights were spent watching horrible vampire movies. 
and I just thought it was like so like it was such a a funny joke between us all like that we were in New York and we could be doing anything and right now we're watching the worst vampire movies ever made like that we decide to do with our time (laughs) that is pretty hilarious yeah so you were there was four people per room and was everyone at the same hotel so they managed to get everyone together that's sounds like it was pretty well planned and impressive no yeah we we uh I feel like we must have taken up a lot of space and while we were there two other school groups were checking in from like England like all these had English accents and so I think that hotel just had all students for that week. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, did you, was the food amazing? So I love food and I hear New York. I mean, I've been to New York once and when I ate there, it was amazing. Specifically the pizza. Did you feel the same? The pizza was amazing. Uh, yeah, we went to Joe's Pizza, which is like the famous place. I think it's where it's more like Spider-Man works in the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. So you walk in and it's like, you've seen us in Spider-Man. We're all freaking out like, wait, what? And that that pizza was absolutely delicious. Um, I had several cannolis. You can't go to little Italy without having a cannoli, you know, (laughs) that Um, I had I had a lot of Italian food, like a lot, because I, I figured like it's New York. This is where all the Italian Americans live. I'm going to make use of this, of this culture and try and eat as much pasta as possible. So that was, that was good. And then I think, yeah, I don't know what else we ate. Oh, we found a dim sum place like randomly, just like we were ending a show and I was like, all right, where do we want to eat? And I look up restaurants and there's a dim sum place like down the street. We go It was absolutely delicious. It was so good. And it was like a hole in the wall type place. Like the, the door was like down some stairs underneath the building on top of it, but it was really good. Um, yeah, a lot of people spent most of their budget on pizza. (laughs) And like, I I don't blame them. That pizza was delicious. I want to go back and get another one. Like it's so good. (laughs) Yeah, the dining hall food probably doesn't taste quite as quite as good as New York pizza. <laughs> yeah, those those pizza slices. I don't I don't know if they I don't I don't know if they would approve of those pizza slices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably not. Oh, that's amazing. Well, it sounds like that trip was really really an incredible experience. Um, I really appreciate you doing this for me and talking yeah. to me. Sounds like it was really incredible. Um, yeah, I think that's everything that I've got. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for doing this and taking the time. Yeah, no problem. It was, it was fun. Here we are in Big Sky, Small World, the Carroll College Student Podcast. I'm here with a, with a guest uh, toward uh, having a segment here on the podcast. So I'll let you introduce yourself and we'll go from there. Hi, um, I'm Frank. I've been a student at Carroll since 2016, actually. Um, before I took a break, I was a math and physics double major with an interest in uh, computer science and data science. Very good, very good. So you came into Carroll, there was a physics major, 
you're back now. There's not a physics major. Yeah, um, it's kind of depressing, really. I have half of the minor finished, and most of the classes to finish it are finishing up this year, actually. That so. is tough, yeah. So are you able to get a minor? Um, not currently. Okay. I If I can't bring anything back, I'm going to do like a non-disciplinary or interdisciplinary major. And the classes that are still here now, like engineering science, so I'll just incorporate those. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good plan. So tell me about your interest in, in, in physics. Um, so I started Carroll as an engineering major and took three semesters of the engineering course um, and decided I liked the physics classes better. It was just more fun. The, uh, the topics were cooler. The problems were cooler. Uh, I didn't feel as constrained to um, civil engineering anymore. So I switched over and then found out I was really good at it, actually. So um, contributed that continued that course and then was eventually persuaded to a math minor on top of it, which evolved into the math major as I found out that the course is not offered in the minor, but in the major, we're going to be way cooler than the rest of the classes. Okay. So you could see yourself in an interdisciplinary major that incorporates physics courses you've already taken, plus math, plus some engineering courses to round it out. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Okay, very good. Well, we're, we're going to chat about science, I think, right? Yeah. So, so what are some of your thoughts? Maybe you can bounce some things off of me. Um, one of the things I keep seeing, like, over social media is, like, scientific fact. Like, oh, it's scientific fact that this is true. And it really, it's hilarious for me. Because when I was studying physics, the math behind, like, Newton's law of gravity, right, isn't really fact. It's just a really, really good mathematical model. It works, generally. In like the terms of the universe, and it might be right, it might be totally true, um, but there's no way to actually say it's fact or not. It's just a general consensus of, you know what? Yeah, that exactly how we've witnessed these things to happen. The observation is consistent. Yeah, so um, that is an interesting case. I'm, I, my background is in sociology, and one of the things, certainly that sociologists would believe i think is that so much is socially constructed including fact what we call fact mm-hmm. right that, that that these are constructions that fact itself can be a construction of uh consent in in a way and the idea some sociologists would say that that fact is that scientific fact is actually a contradiction in terms in some ways I am totally for that definition. Okay. So tell yeah. me, tell me, tell me about scientific fact being a contradictive contradiction in terms. Basically, everything that we like, all the constants we use, right, is basically a compilation of a bunch of tests, right, and each and every one of them is slightly different than the other, right. Everybody gets different results. We see this in our Carroll physics labs all the time, right. You're you're testing 
can I find the acceleration from gravity by dropping a ball? And we take videos and then we like freeze frame, test how far it traveled, find the acceleration from gravity. And like nobody ever really lands on the number that we use in class. And it's, it's hilarious, right? Cause it's like, wait, my math is just that wrong. Or my observation was just that wrong. In reality, everything is just, it's a big bell curve where, the accepted value is the mean. If you test something to find that value, you should get something close to the mean, but maybe not necessarily the mean. And so for most practical purposes, the mean works just fine, yeah. even though it's not a real number in that sense. Yeah, it not necessarily the exact number. Um, in fact, there are very few scientific constants that we define as exact. Um, in 2017, the SI constants were revised, and they were like, we're going to say Planck's constant is exactly this, and it essentially changed what the exact kilogram was, what exact Kelvin was, um, even like light intensity, the candela unit that they use, changed because they were like, we're just going to say that it's exactly this instead of approximately this. And what, what practical effect did that have in the discipline? Everybody had to go find out what the new exact units were for kilograms and such. Okay. Um, they didn't change super far. It was just like, you know what? We're going to say it's exactly this. And it was like a millionth of a percent difference from what they had assumed it was before. And even then, like, can we say it's exactly that? I, I don't think so. You're, you're talking about the idea, the notion that the, there not, might not be so much fact there with science. So... What are the implications of that? Well, the implications mean you got to question things or test them yourself. I might read a study that says that, hey, humans have precognition. There was actually a study done on this in 2003. There was a paper written in 2003 called Feeling the Future, Experimental Evidence for Anomalous Retroactive Influences on Cognition and Effect. 2003, you said? Yeah. In short, they were basically saying humans have a sixth sense and it's to see in the future, right? Not very far. Right. Yeah. And if you read the paper, basically they had a bunch of tests and one of the tests they had that they got positive results for was they had a computer screen that had it was split down the center and said, OK, guess which side the computer is going to put an image on and then we'll show you what it is. And they found 54 percent of people statistically significant, 54 percent could guess which side the picture was going to be on. And the 54% was, as you say, statistically significant based on the number of trials they did, the number of yeah. participants, that kind of thing. Okay. And then, like, people reproduced the experiment, and they were like, yeah, this is not right at all. Ten years later, they They reproduced the it. I was wondering yeah. about that. Okay. Um, and they were like, hey, you guys published this paper, and we just found out, like, it's totally random. They, whatever statistical significance data they collected we couldn't reproduce at all the journal that posted this article was like well we don't publish redos so it, we're not going to do anything was it a credible journal yeah credible scientific journal well okay. I, I think this goes into one of the problems of like modern sciences um this guy named professor brian nosk basically he says this quote that says there's no cost for getting it wrong. The cost is not getting it published. Tons of scientists who are okay. out there like, I need to publish a paper because that's what's going to keep me in my job. 
And so we're just going to do stuff. So part of that's the industry. That yeah. Part of that's academia, right? Mm-hmm. The, the idea of publishing or perishing. And yeah. it matters less how true or how scientifically valid what you publish is than it is about getting something published. So the authors in this precog article, it, tended, it, it turned out to be not true, it sounds like, or at least not scientifically replicable. That's probably a better way to say it, right? They couldn't right. replicate the results to a, a scientific certainty. But in the meantime, maybe those precog authors got tenured or something. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Does it also tell us something about the notion of statistical significance in your mind? Well, it does, actually. There's plenty of ways we can get statistical significance in a study. Part of the problem is if I have a hypothesis and I want to publish a paper, there are things I can do to get statistical significance. Oh, yeah, you can add participants. You can get the same result that's not statistically significant but then get that same statistically insignificant result with more participants mm-hmm. and it becomes statistically significant. Right. I, yeah, that's one That's yeah. one that I know. The sure. official term is p-hacking. Right. Right. Like people are like, <laughs> oh, shoot, I got close to like statistical significance here. Let's add some data points. And if it drops to significant, stop right there. Yeah. And it's perfect. And then somebody redoes it and they do it way further than you went and it's like oh actually it got close there but it exploded afterwards yeah. there's totally nothing to do with it so yeah. so what do we do with all this frank what do we do what do we do with it what do we, how do we believe what we read um you gotta inform yourself the data's out there and it does tell you stuff i guess but you've got to know how to read it recently i found out a family member is a flat earther and i went and studied all the flat earth theory stuff and I was like generally surprised. These people are out there. They're not just like, oh, it's just a government conspiracy. They're they're trying to prove the earth is flat and they're using the traditional scientific method and they're proving themselves wrong, which is kind of funny in a sadistic way. Um, <laughs> but like, you're full of Schadenfreude at this right? point. It's like, okay, we've proven it's 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 a sphere, like not necessarily a perfect sphere, but we've proven it's round, like the rest of the celestial bodies in our solar system, at least, you know. Why is the earth flat? (laughs) It's not a dome. They're not projecting stuff. Things fall from the heavens all the time. Uh, But like watching them prove themselves wrong has been very satisfying. But this movement hasn't dissipated. If anything, it's picked up momentum, right? Yeah, which is kind of the sad thing. But the more they test, the less proof they have. So you would set up your process as as maybe a way to go is you have a family member who believes something that you don't tend to believe rather than just sort of mark out your territory and get in your tribes you studied the research that that family member was studying yeah you've got to you got to go find out where it is you got to find out how they collected their data i mean how many studies are out there making conclusions about things when the data being collected is totally different in different regions. You know, we're comparing apples to oranges. If the U.S. collects data on car wrecks and says that, oh, if we're going to, every time a car crashes and someone's get injured, we'll report it. And then we look at the U.K. and they decide to report car crashes as every time a car crashes and someone dies, we report that in this thing. Mm -hmm. We, We can... Um, automatically we can look at and say oh the u.s has far more car wrecks that 
result in injury than the UK does. That's right. right. And, and so people, people see those as numbers. They see those as data. Yeah. But really, there are so many institutional factors, like you're pointing out. This example of car accidents is a really good one because even within counties, within states, mm-hmm. they, they count things like that differently where, oh, this counts as an accident because a police officer was called to the scene regardless of you know what the details were and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that we tend to we tend to see numbers a contextually sometimes and and of course there's also all of the the bias stuff that comes in, right? We tend to yeah. we tend to uh, gravitate toward toward the kinds of arguments and statistics and numbers that that uh, reinforce our our view of the world as it already is. Well, so I went and found what like would cause published research to like come up with like a false positive. Yeah. And like underpowered studies is one of the biggest contribution to true hypotheses coming up false. Like how many times have I have you tested something and it's like, oh, it, it's false. Okay, I'll just give up. Right. And it's like, mm. oh no, actually like you were dead on, but you didn't test it enough. Or like biased researchers, if there if you have an inherent bias to especially in like sociological studies. I don't remember the name of the effect, but it was tested where like high school coaches, you'd give them one student who like looked like a jock and one student who would look like a slob. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coach would like favor the jock looking student and would result in like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. of, oh, this, yeah. this slob looking kid. Like a, a, a species of confirmation bias for sure. Confirmation. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So like preconceived biases on the hypothesis or what I think is going to happen might actually lead me to that confirmation. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, being able to like send your your study to somebody who has no preconceived notion and having them test it out. Is there such a being, Frank? No, I don't think so. But there are but more or less interested people, yeah. right? I mean, if somebody works for uh, a certain sort of think tank that has a mission statement and ideology, mm-hmm. they're going to be more willing to see the world that way because... That's what keeps the lights on. Yeah, it it does keep the lights on. Which, like, speaking of keeping the lights on, like, why isn't nuclear energy more of a thing? You know, we're we're trying to move off of fossil fuels, going to green. Why are we ignoring? Like the the big elephant in the room is next up is nuclear energy. Granted, we can't live off that forever either, but I think it's the next step for sure. Um, but then again, we have biases because there's there's data points that say nuclear energy is bad i guess you know chernobyl's not really a great um, yeah it's it's terrible marketing for a type of energy for sure you know but we drive around with mini explosives in our car every day you know gasoline is just as dangerous to you as you know uh fukushima was yes and, and that's true. And that goes back to like the argument that, that one might pose to a loved one who's has a fear of flying. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you might point out that there are way fewer, you know, that you're much less likely to, to get into a, an air accident as, as an auto accident, right. as a ground accident or something or, like that. Yeah. There's the stunning amount of trains that happen to come under calamity. Like, okay. You shouldn't let that stop you from riding trains. It's it's still a, 
an efficient way to travel. So we live in we live in this world where we think we're being informed by the world, mm-hmm. but maybe we're informing that world, and in turn, right? Maybe it's more reciprocal, more reflexive, where we're informing those data, which then we see as informing us. Yeah, that especially if we continue to question when things come up as. Like, I don't actually know what this data is saying. So go look at it, find out what it is saying, and then make your own conclusions. And then hopefully that will contribute to a better study next time. Well, so let's let's follow that through with one implication of that is how we sort of navigate the world, mm-hmm. right? And not even necessarily being researchers in it, but navigating the world. Let's go back to your example of the flat earther that you know. Yeah. So do you recognize in any way that you were willing going into this to say, you know what, I might come out of this process a flat earther? Were you, were you aware of, you know what I mean? You, yeah. were, you, um, were you riding along that edge of, of being open-minded enough to allow yourself to change your view? Not really, actually. <laughs> um, you say that, and actually, no, I was totally. Like, you did. You I, scoffed, Frank. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove that your logic is false and my logic is true. It sounded like the thing that, that surprised you weren't the results, but the fact that they were coming at, into those results scientifically. Yeah, it, their process surprised you. Well, like the first video my my friend or family member sent me was this really. It was terrible. It did not explain their position at all. It basically just said that it's this big government conspiracy and that the flat earth is is real and that the only reason they're hiding it from you is because they don't want you to feel like an animal in a cage because an animal in a cage behaves differently than one out in the open fields, right? If you can't see the boundaries of your environment, then you will behave as as you naturally would. Hmm. and thus, any proof that we have that the Earth is round is false. That's a terrible way to do it. I, I can go into my math class and just tell my teacher, everything you said is false because yeah. it's a big government conspiracy. Yeah, The government has told us that one plus one is two. Exactly. Therefore, yeah. Yeah. So, huh. yeah. so that beginning premise is a tough one to start from. Yeah. But I was like, okay, how... That aside, how do they rationalize everything else? So I, I, I went and dug deeper into things and was like, okay, well, their theory for how gravity works isn't necessarily ridiculous. Um, it would actually explain why things fall to the surface of the earth. However, when they show like an orange and they're pouring water on it, see the water doesn't stay on the orange. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> I get it, but let's try a bigger orange. Let's try the moon next time. You know? Yeah, I was thinking about scale in that sense of, you know, what would a rainstorm on an orange look like to, to scale? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but, you know, putting that in perspective is difficult. Yeah, yeah. So if we, bring, if we bring that back to an important aspect of our lives, and that is the relationships we have between humans, have you had a conversation with, with this family member since you did some of the research? I have. I have had several conversations. What, and what what has been the tone or outcome of, of those? The outcome is always a stalemate. There is, <laughs> so there's been no movement on either side. There's no, yeah, there's no movement. This person you know is 
equally surprised that you haven't been won over as you are that this person hasn't been won over probably yeah but the tone is usually very civil and ideas are are passed between as okay that that makes sense i can see how that would work you know so there's not this sense of opening ourselves up that we might be wrong about some aspect of the world studying it going into somehow studying it you know either by looking at what other people have done or doing something ourselves do you think that makes the world a better place i do yeah i mean you'll you never know what perspective you're going to find tomorrow if that perspective brings you closer to somebody else that's even better even um and i don't fact being what we've defined it as i do think that there's truth out there there's a general fact that if i drop my pen it will fall to the earth and i think that brings us closer together as people you know it's a shared experience yeah yeah okay that makes sense to me that's scientific method Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Was it? What's what it's supposed to be? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Define a question. Test the question. Yeah. And Willingness then. to be wrong. I might be wrong about this. In fact, I'm probably wrong about this. But let's give it a shot. Right. Well, in that we have to redefine how we see the world every time. Yeah. Okay. Even if it's small. Even if it's a millionth of a percent of Planck's constant. You know. Right. We have to redefine it. So. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks, Frank. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate you coming in, and I look forward to the podcast segment. Thanks, Alan. I look forward to being back. <laughs>